We are in the middle of a series called Blood, Sweat, and Tears, a study in the book of Nehemiah. Hopefully you're caught up to speed now with the book of Nehemiah. And we will be in Nehemiah chapter 5. We're going to focus specifically on verses 14 through 19. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there. If you have a digital device, we'll be using the English Standard Version today. The song that was played just a moment ago was a classic by Pink Floyd. Does anybody know the name of that song? Money. And the lyrics of that song are a perfect uh, diagnosis on our culture today. Money has so much power over us. In fact, uh, the weirdness that we all feel right now speaks to the power of money. In fact, I would argue that the power of money is seen in our inability to talk openly about it. The fact that we're all clenching up right now speaks to the power of money over us. And it's almost like speaking about a false god, fearing that it might come in and kill us. In fact, I would argue that money easily becomes a god. But we believe that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, conquering over Satan, sin, and death. And for those of us who follow after Jesus, and I know not all of us are Christians, but for those of us here today who are Christians, Easter is legit, and therefore we do not have to be chained to money. We do not have to have money as our uh, means of finding dignity, worth, and value. In fact, I would argue that Christians, more than anyone else, should be the freest to talk openly about things like sex, money, and power because they do not hold us as gods. Rather, they are simply things created by our God for us to use, to invest with, and to enjoy. Jesus is alive, and that impacts everything, including our money. There's a reason why we call this series Blood, Sweat, and Tears, because in order to change the world, in order to be faithful to Jesus, it requires the giving of blood, sweat, and tears. And most of the time when the pastor does a sermon on money, tears and a desire to see his blood. And halfway through the sermon, we'll be sweating as we go through this series. Money is simply an asset that God gives us to invest with for a brief time. You've heard it said, you can't take it with you. But that doesn't mean that money is not important. Rather, money, like time, and all other forms of capital, social capital, energy, things like that, talent, skills, gifts, and resources, Money is not meant to be thrown away and spit upon or treated as the devil. Rather, money is to be treated as a gift from God, regardless of the amount, to be invested and to bless others and to serve others, just like our time, just like our social capital. Money is a tool. Nehemiah showcases this, and I'm going to read Nehemiah 14 through 19. Up until this point in time, Nehemiah has come into the city. You saw it in the video a moment ago. And he is the governor. He's leading over this city, Jerusalem, and he's in the middle of a project, rebuilding the city from ruins. And so you have insecurity all around. You have enemies all around that want to come in and take the spoils of the city. And this is what it says in Nehemiah 5, 14 through 19. We'll have it up on the screen here as well. It says this, that moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. Now, quick TV timeout. 
What is likely being said here is that as the governor, he had the right to tax the people, and uh, as any governor would, for his uh, food allotment for him and for his government, basically. This isn't just his personal food. This is for his government, so to speak, for his cabinet. Verse 15, the former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them all their daily, por- uh, their daily ration, 40 shekels of silver, which was a, a sizable amount. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so. And here's the why. Why didn't he do this taxation? Why didn't he take the funds from these people who are working and trying to do the Lord's work? Because the fear of the Lord. He says, because of the fear of God, I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. So it shows that he's owning this project. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. And then this is where it gets a little bit of the sweat part. Now, what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every 10 days, all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. He recognized that it wouldn't be a good investment. Remember for my good, O God, all that I have done for this people. This is the word of the Lord. What Nehemiah shows is that in the middle of his calling, in the middle of what God is calling him to do, he recognizes that he has certain financial needs and he has every right to take finance, uh, finance taxes and the food allowance and things like that from the people. But because of the fear of the Lord, And because he feels like it wouldn't be strategic, it wouldn't be wise, because it would be a heavy burden on the people, he chooses to cover his own expenses. Nehemiah has faith also that the work will be completed. I want you to think just for a moment, over those 12 years, how much money was Nehemiah in to this project? How much would he have invested? A lot. He believed firmly that the city would stand, that the work was good, and that the work would be accomplished. And so he financially invested, he financially leveraged his own assets for the blessing and the benefit of the people to accomplish God's specific mission in his life and in the people's life. Do you see? Nehemiah shows us that even in facing opposition, he's still meaningfully invested. For those of us that follow after Jesus, I would encourage you to find the places that the Lord is working and the places that the Lord is calling you to serve and to work and invest, sacrificially invest. Our money is meant to be invested. Our money is invested whether we know it or not. Every time that we put money towards something, it's an investment towards that end. It could be a vacation to invest in our family. It could be towards school to invest in our education. It could be in a specific project or a nonprofit to invest in what those organizations are doing. But every time that we put money somewhere else out of our account into someone else's, it's an investment into one thing or the other. And too often, though, we waste and we don't consider the impact, the long-term and eternal impact of our finances. Nehemiah, though, recognizes the long-term impact There was um, a group of people about 30, 35 years ago that were some of the early members of this church. You'll see the 40s on the the stage in the back there. This is our 40th year, and it's our 40th birthday, and we are celebrating uh, this September, but we're also taking a look at how the Lord has provided for us so generously over these last 40 years and looking forward to the next 40 years. But but about 35 years ago, uh, there was a group of people, maybe about 50 to 80 people, 
who were meeting in one of the elementary schools, and it was Desert Springs Bible Church. Before they had the buildings, they had purchased a property, the property up around here, but they didn't have a building. And the elementary school came to them that they were meeting in and said, we love having you guys as tenants, but you got a set amount of time, and that time is coming to an end. Goodbye. Being Phoenix, many of them wisely felt that tent meetings would only be good a few times a year. So they felt like, man, we need to find a place. Well, we've got the Lord's given us this property. We need a building. And that first building uh, that you'll come in, uh, this side of Tatum. So right off of Tatum is our student, what's currently our student center. That was the first building that was open in, I think, 86. But in order for that building to be placed there, money had to be invested, as did time, energy, and resources. And there's a group of about 50 to 80 people, many of them in their 20s and 30s, many of them just starting their families, not many of them uh, people of means. And they got together and they said, all right, we're going to kind of figure out how to make this happen. We think that the Lord gave us a property and it's time to build a building. Well, one day, their pastor of seven years, who was an amazing man, Don Tag, gets up and he says, hey, uh, I feel like the Lord's calling me to move on. I'm done. And so he moved out of state to go teach, as the Lord called him to do. And if I'm not mistaken, it was shortly after, maybe even the next week, that one of the elders got up and said, we need a building. We don't have a pastor, but we need a building. And so I think what we should do is a bond drive. And that small group of young families and people who are just getting started in their careers pooled their resources together in a very sacrificial way and pulled together like a ton of cash to invest and to put that building there. And the same thing happened for the next building in a similar way. A bunch of people got together and pooled their resources and invested in the Lord's work. Same with this building. Same with this staff. And for those of you that call Desert Springs your church home, which I do, I came to know the Lord at this church. If you have been blessed by the ministry of Desert Springs Bible Church, none of that would have happened apart from the faithfulness of a small group of young families who got together and said, the Lord is in it, and so are we. They invested as Nehemiah did. They leveraged their assets for the kingdom work. Now, no one dies saying, I wish I would have bought more stuff. No deathbed experience that I've ever been a part of has gone like this. I really should have got that Maserati. If I could do one thing over again, it would have been to upgrade the tires. If I had one regret, it's that I didn't build that extra addition onto my house. Now, none of those things are bad things. Don't hear me saying that those are bad things. Those are great things. They're gifts from God. But at the end of our life, usually the regret, usually when we look back, we say things like this. I could have been more generous. I could have been more intentional. I could have been more invested in what God was doing. You see, I don't think that many of us have a problem with wanting to be generous with our time, our energy, our talents, and our resources. I think where the problem comes in is we get out of the pew and then we go back to real life and we say, this is awful. <laughs> this is hard. This is difficult. And it's easy. Listen, it's easy to preach on this. Like you got the bad end of the deal. It's easy for me to get up here and tell you what to do. 
But it's also easy to disconnect reality from what the pastor is saying. So I'm going to invite some of my friends up. Uh, We're going to have a panel discussion. I've asked uh, Kathy and Jeff and Steve, if you would please come up here. And uh, these are some of our leaders. Uh, They lead some of our uh, Bible studies, some of our missional communities, some of our classes. Would you welcome them up? Um, And so what we're going to do is I'm going to have our phone number up on the screen. We'll leave that up for you. As we have conversation, I would ask, you can text in any questions that you have. This could be like boots on the ground type question, like how does this play out in real life type questions. This could be a bigger picture question, whatever you do. I'm going to get the questions here on my tablet. I'll probably combine a lot of them or filter through some of them. Um, but as we have kind of a discussion on how this looks, gener- financial generosity looks in real life, uh, we want your questions because we want this to be real uh, for you today. And so uh, would you welcome our panel? And so this is Jeff, Steve, and Kathy. And uh, why don't you guys uh, kick it off just by telling us a little bit about kind of the point in time in your life where you started to see money not just as yours but as the Lord's and then also uh, viewing as an investment into what the Lord was doing. Kathy would just start. Oh, I'll jump right in on that one. By the way, this is our 50th anniversary. It was in 1967 that was a very pivotal year in our family. My husband and I both came to know Jesus as our personal savior. He was about to graduate from ASU as a mechanical engineer. And we started reading the Bible and learned about some uh, principles that God taught, and one of them was tithing. My husband said, being very logical, that if God says it, let's do it. So we made a decision to start tithing. and. The other was he also said, Kathy, you've been managing the money. I think I should take it over because I'm the head of the family. Well, I was so glad to turn that one over to him. So for me, I, I grew up in the church, and I, and I actually have a background in finance. So I knew all the biblical principles. I felt like I knew you know, all the financial principles. Um, but it, it's been more recently that I feel God has been working in my heart um, because even early on in my marriage, I always came to the to the table when it was about money, and I, I kind of came. It's like I needed to fix things. I always needed to, you know, make sure that we were on budget, things like that. And sometimes the, those conversations didn't always go so well. Um, and it took uh, me being a lot more in depth in the Word, and um, as well as teaching some financial classes as well, to really have God change my heart and the way I viewed money. Um, and you know, and having that switch of, you know, it's not in my control, it's in God's control. Um, and that has been, it's been substantially a different change. And it was, it's been interesting just to see the conversations I have with my wife about our finances since, since just even taking that, that slight change of the way I view money. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, so tithing and all that was completely foreign to me. And when Angie and I got married, um, We had debt and different things, and so it wasn't something that we did real regular. Uh, Ange was more in tune with it than I, and it wasn't until later as we matured and we started taking some crown classes and listening to Dave Ramsey and studying the Bible a lot more that we really decided how important it was to be involved in uh, giving back. And so... Uh, but, but it was something that we struggled with and, and something that kind of probably more so me, I was kicking and screaming most of the time trying to uh, be faithful. And how did, it, how did you have to adjust your lifestyle in order to accommodate that change? 
And was it easy? Oh, it was extremely easy. Great. <laughs> no, it, it, to me, it, it, was, it was extremely difficult. So when my wife and I got married, we, we had quite a bit of debt as well. Uh, we made a lot of poor decisions early on in our adulthood. Um, <clears throat> and it, it, it's taken, you know, years and years of just uh, working through that. And it's, uh, you know, for us, it's, it came to, you know, sitting down and understanding what our budget was. But first, thinking of, you know, our first fruits of going back to, to God. So to being able to tithe and coming at it from that perspective and then being able to, okay, what can we do with the rest of our, you know, monthly income and starting to chip away at debt and things like that. Um, and it's not a thing that it happens overnight. We're still, I mean, we're still working through that process as it is. Um, but uh, it's a, it, first it was that, just that mindset change of, you know, let's, let's be faithful to God first. One of the questions, and I'm going to, um, just as you guys are sending in uh, questions, I, I, I love that you send them in, keep sending them in. Uh, but if we get ones that are similar, I'll condense them and, and maybe make them um, change them a little bit so they fit together. Uh, but one of the uh, ones that's kind of a frequent one here is, as you think about uh, those of us who are in debt, and how do you think about, uh, could you give us some input on you know, how we go about paying off our debt or managing our debt, and how you balance that with tithing and, and those types of things? I'll start. Uh, I shared earlier in the first service, I, debt's one of those things that typically you don't get into debt all of a sudden. It's, it's a process. You slowly get into debt, uh, unless you have a home mortgage or something like that, that's quick. But, but you get into debt slowly and you have to get out of debt slowly. And, and the big thing is just to start somewhere. Even if it's $5 or $10, get in the habit of trying to pay off that debt. And, and then just chipping away at it little by little, because if you don't, um, you just won't ever start. So you have to start somewhere. Uh, I, I shared earlier that, you know, we, everyone in this room, I don't think there's anyone in here that hasn't been a product of television. And television is really, was created for one thing and one thing only, and that is for companies to advertise and market to you. The shows are simply to suck you in and so we are a product of our culture, and our culture tells us that we need things, we deserve things, and because of our nature and believing that, we tend to just want, want, want. And so we get into debt very easily. We have to realize that uh, that, that isn't what's gonna make us happy, and it, it is difficult. Uh, but Ange and I, when we started, uh, when we were in debt, we just started a little by little. It just even weekly, if we had five extra dollars, ten extra dollars, whatever it took, uh, we would just put towards towards debt. Um, at the time, there was no float, so we were able to do something that was a little unusual. We could pay off one credit card with another credit card and and get away with it. And we we did some creative things like that. But um, nowadays, you just have to chip away. Well, I'd just like to say that. Um, as far as our debt was concerned, my husband was very conscientious. Each month he would put extra money toward the principal of our mortgage on our home. And that was one of the nicest gifts that he gave to me. Uh, as a widow, I do not have a house mortgage or a rent that I have to pay on a month-to-month -month basis. So I'm very thankful for that, and that has been such a big help to me. Because now living as a widow, I don't have that burden of debt 
But uh, anyway, it just is real helpful. I and Oh, and by the way, I still have four mica on my kitchen counters. <laughs> but I'm happy with it. I'm content. It's, it, to me, it looks almost like new. So I just encourage you, think twice before you put that second mortgage on your house. That formica lasts forever, doesn't it? Uh, one of the questions here is um, thinking about those of us that are maybe in school and, and, or, or retired, and so our income is different than uh, coming from a job or something like that. So maybe some of us are on Social Security or others of us are on student loans or we're having money from our parents. Uh, what advice would you give about financial generosity when our our expenses exceed our income because of life stage, like retirement or um, early on in life going to school and things like that? Well, I can't really relate to that because our expen my expenses now are far less than that what they used to be. In fact, uh, my family will testify to this. I have great joy. I'm able to give away more now than I've ever been able to give in my life, so I'm grateful for that. I think one of the hard things too is is and we see I see this as we uh, as I help co-lead one of our, our money matters class um, where we talk about a lot of this stuff um, is just the conversation around needs versus wants. Um, it's very um, I mean it, especially in our culture today it's 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 difficult because we feel we need to have all these different things and so being able to you know look at and understand okay what do I really need to survive basically and you know and do I have food clothing shelter um, and then um, but if the more we kind of you know at least start to realize some of that or at least have those conversations about that it's it's gonna be difficult to be to be able to be generous I do think that that's a hard question because uh, one I'm not retired for that part but from the student loan standpoint the needs versus wants is, is important. Uh, I don't think there's a magic formula, and I know a lot of people will say, oh, if you give, then God will bless you. And he does bless you. But not necessarily financially, maybe financially. I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to say there's a magic formula up here. But I know when Angie and I became more faithful in giving, um, we certainly had less needs. And again, not a magic formula, and I'm not promising anything. But whether it's just because we're more satisfied with less or we feel like the generosity blesses us more, I don't know what it is. But in my personal experience, uh, when we were putting God first, things seemed to fall in line uh, better than when we weren't putting God first. Yeah, I think one of the things that, that I've noticed is my use of the word need. Like when I say I need new cabinets or I need a new floor, um, that, that might be a misappropriation of the word, I wonder. One of the questions is, uh, is it biblical to save money for future use? Well, I definitely think it's, it's biblical to save money. Um, I think it's a, there's no real true guideline for how much is enough, you know, what number should that be? Um, I think there's, you know, we're, we save for retirement or we save for kind of emergency situations. Um, but then there's, there can be a come, we can come to a point where it, you know, we don't want to be hoarding um, because we want to be able to invest um, in God's kingdom work. Um, so 
there's, I don't think there's, a, again, a magic formula of how much, but it's, it's a, definitely more of a personal decision um, that you need to come to and say, am, am I using my funds the way I should be? Because you should have a savings to help for those emergency situations um, and also thinking about, you know, a lot later on down the road, but uh, um, it's definitely not a, an easy decision to come to. We've used the word tithe uh, multiple times up here, and tithe specifically means 10% of your income given to ministry or to the Lord. Talk to me about your view on that concept of, like, percentage. I mean, is that a biblical command? How does that all work kind of from your perspective? The Bible talks, um, well, <clears throat> well, it talks about tithe. And a lot of people will say, well, that's Old Testament, and we're no longer under Old Testament law, but we're under grace. Um, one of the things that most people don't know is that uh, the Jewish culture at the time uh, of biblical writing, that most, there were several ties, and the ties actually added up to about 22%. So even though we're under grace, Jesus constantly talks about us being uh, aware of the poor and widows and that we're supposed to uh, give abundantly. So there's not necessarily a mandate except that we're supposed to be generous as God was generous. He gave us Jesus Christ, but he didn't give us 10% of Jesus Christ. He gave us all of Jesus Christ. And I think the biggest eye-opener for me for years and years and years was I thought 10% of the money I had was God's and 90% was mine. And when I realized that 100% of it is God's and I'm simply just managing it and whatever he allows me to keep is amazing and I should be thankful for. And so uh, I think it, for those that say the Old Testament is Old Testament and we're not under that, we need to be careful because you might need to give a lot more than 10%. For me, I think the, the whole tithing concept has been a, has been a difficult one. Um, early on, I, I had very much came to the table with the mindset of, well, if I just made a little more money, then I'd be more generous and I'd probably tithe. Um, and it, getting kind of into Jeff's discussion there too of, you know, it, it wasn't until I really understood that 100% is God's and I'm just here managing it, did I really start to understand um, Really, tithing for me—it's—it's it's like a baby step of getting there. It's not e easy to get there, um, and for a long time, I did not tithe. Um, but uh, it's helped me and my wife as we've talked about it. We want to be more generous, um, but it's something we have to strive towards. We have to work towards it. It's—it's um, it's not something that happens overnight, and we have to be diligent with it. Well, I just think that when we are obedient to God, He—He he exchanges our obedience. He gives us so much peace, and we get a real sense of joy in, the, in being able to give to the Lord and to other people. And then also our faith has a, a real opportunity to grow when we believe and we see God's promises, because he's promised. I wrote down a verse from first, Second Peter 1.3. I love this verse. It says, by God's div divine power, he has given us everything we need for living a godly life. And when you begin, begin to believe that truth, it can change your life.
And then also it gives, it, I believe, as you become a generous person, it causes you to be more aware of needs of other people. And then you realize, hey, I have more. I can give more. So it's just a win-win situation all the way around. As we think about, um, you know, as Nehemiah saw the need, he saw the Lord at work in the rebuilding of the city. He felt God's calling, and so he was financially invested there. How do you determine um, how to invest God's money, so to speak? So one way to frame the question was, you know, how do you figure out where to tithe? Another way to frame the question is, how do you figure out where to invest and to be generous? Uh, there are some of us who see an opportunity, a person on the street, and make a donation or the Salvation Army buckets. Others of us make it a habit or, or organizationally. How, how do you navigate all that? Uh, for me, I mean, it's to, from a tithing perspective, I think um, we think of that, I, I think of that going back to the church because um, there's so much community here um, that we benefit from. And I think first of, you know, helping that, um, that need. Um, but that's not where we, where you know, my wife like to stop. We like to be generous in other ways, um, and it could be through just areas where that we feel called in, um, and it could be through church activities. It could be through other organizations, things like that. Um, one of the things that we're passionate about is our Mexico missions trip. Uh, we feel like it makes a big impact, um, and so we like to be able to give um, for that. Um, but then there's other organizations where we we try to be more generous too, as well, um, where we feel called. I don't think there's a specific solution to that, but I think however God leads. I work for a parachurch organization, so um, I think initially when the church was formed and churches met in, in houses and it was someone's house, so the expenses were, they were low, uh, you gave to the church and the church basically did everything that, that was needed for that group of people. But, you know, we're living in a culture where church has changed. Uh, we don't, we, we've decided that we're going to meet and fellowship in larger groups. We're going to have larger churches. Uh, we need to take care of our pastors and our staff and building needs and things like that. Uh, it's just the way we've decided to do it. Our particular organization, we've never asked the church for money. I don't think you've, I think one time I've stood up here because Rick wanted me to share about what I did, but um, didn't ask for any money. We've never asked the church for money. Uh, we don't want to take it out of the coffers of the church. Uh, God has blessed us. He actually funds most of our ministry through non-Christians. Uh, and we're a Christian organization, and we share the gospel, and so it's really neat how God has worked that, that we get to get the bulk of our income from people that don't even believe in God, and yet they're funding us. So, uh, but, but I don't think there's anything wrong with giving to a parachurch organization, but I don't think you take it out of the hands of the church. It's just my personal view. When, uh, we did get a few questions here about kind of how to determine where to invest. So I, I do want to take a moment... Um, and say that as a church family, uh, more than 10% of the income that comes in here at Desert Springs gets invested uh, in the city and around the world. And so we, as an organization, we try to model the tithe. And so we support numerous cross-cultural missionaries uh, here in Phoenix and around the world um, by kind of organizationally tithing 
uh, the incomes that come in, and that, that's uh, slightly over 10%. And I know many uh, of you uh, support cross-culture missionaries as well. And so when you give to Desert Springs, you do support uh, ministry in the city as well as around the world. Uh, one of the questions here, and, and I, I like this one, uh, and I'm going to actually merge a, a few of these together. Um, we are called to be cheerful givers. Uh, talk about... Um, giving it up cheerfully. You guys ready to amen? <laughs> like, like uh, is that even possible to be a cheerful giver and not be a begrudging giver? I'm going to ask for myself. I'm, I texted myself this question. Uh, and then kind of simultaneous to that, as you have done this over seasons of your life, how has the Lord impacted you in that giving? Well, I'll speak just a moment on the other side. Um, two years after my husband and I came to know the Lord, we went into full-time Christian ministry. And after four years, our account, the money coming into our account with the organization was slowly going down. But we felt God was opening doors for us to go abroad to share the Lord with other people. So we did not solicit we had a need, we began to pray. We said, God, we'll go anywhere you want us to go, but the money has to come in or we can't go. You know that. One day I got a phone call. A lady said to me, we had not solicited, she said, how's your account? I said, well, it's in the red right now. She said, how much do you need? And I told her, and she said, okay, goodbye. She hung up. I got down on my knees and I thank God. I said, I don't know what that phone call means, but I thank you because I know you're at work in our life. The phone rang again. She said, Kathy, you've got the full amount. It was exactly the amount of money, exactly the amount of money they had from an insurance claim that came in after a car accident and they chose to invest in our ministry. So that's the receiving side. I wish I could say that I have always been happy about giving, but when uh, that would be a lie. Uh, the usher used to have to pull the check out of my gripped hands, and we'd have a tug of war in the back, and then I would be mad for about a week that I actually gave anything, and then it would start all over the following week or month but or you whatever. You never canceled the check, did you? Never canceled the check. That's good. That's good. So, so it, was, it was a real process for me, and I did that for years. I literally hated it and uh, would be mad and angry and God, why do I have to give this and this is stupid. And, uh, but after we started taking some crown classes and then I was listening to Dave Ramsey and then we did a lot of research, um, my heart just changed. And Caleb and I have had this conversation because I know from the church's standpoint, they would love everyone to give online and I will encourage you to give online. But but I don't do that. And I told Caleb the reason I don't do it now is because giving the check for me personally makes me think. And I don't ever want it to be just um, a routine or something. So now when I uh, write out the check, I praise God that I'm able to do it, that I want to do it, and I'm thankful to be able to do it. And, and then I give. So uh, my heart has changed a lot over the last few years, but it didn't used to be like that. And I'll be honest, I hated it. Um, I, actually, very similar to that, uh, I'll actually give online, um, but I won't set up an automated way of doing it because to me, very similar, it's, 
I want to make that conscious choice every two weeks when I get paid that I'm going to put that, you know, towards my, the tithes. And to me, it's, yeah, because I don't want it just to be a repetitive thing that I can just, you know, like many of us probably have savings accounts where like automatically some amount goes into a savings account, which is, is, is a good practice. But for me, I want to actually, you know, feel that of, you know, I'm actually committing this to the Lord. Um, and so that, that it's very similar to, to what you. Yeah, good. I have mine on auto pay. Because <laughs> otherwise I'm going to forget, but that's okay. Um, one of the concepts that's in the scriptures is this concept of first fruit. So one of the questions that came in is speak to the tithing, uh, timing of our tithe and this concept of first fruits. It's got to be first because if it's not first, there's nothing left. So, I mean, it just, you've, you've got to think of God first and it's got to be it's just, it's got to be that way because it's just too easy to forget God. I mean, there's never enough uh, paycheck left at the end of the month. So if you don't put God first, you will always run, run short. And it's just become a habit for us to think of everything we get. What are we going to do with it that's going to benefit God first? And then we'll worry about the rest later. And it has been one very freeing to do that way because the other time you're just you're constantly stressed out and there's nothing worse than stress because now you're fighting and then you're it's making it worse so if if the mindset is that it's god's first um, it's just a lot easier to handle that's good and it doesn't mean it's going to be easy though i think uh um going through and actually yeah putting the your first fruits uh back to god uh, is you know, it's definitely freeing, but it's there's there's going to be times. I mean, I can tell you, recently, I mean, I've had things where unexpected expenses came in, or what I thought was going to be a certain amount ended up being like twice that. And these thoughts through your through your head, where you're like, well, I could just if I could just take from that tithe, you know, I could I could cover that very easily. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's it definitely is freeing though to be able to give your first fruits and then figure out a way to cover those other expenses a, a different way, whether it's, you know, foregoing something one month or, you know, doing something like that. That's good. Everybody take a big deep breath. And as we conclude, I want to encourage you in this. The Lord has not risen from the grave, conquering over Satan, sin, and death for you to feel guilt and shame about your finances. We want to model for you what it looks like to talk openly about our finances because we have been freed from this idea that money has power over us. And if you wrestle with that, if you're um, feeling just completely overburdened and like this has been oppressive to you, uh, one, I would encourage you that Jesus is a giver of peace, that he is our everything, that he is uh, the sustainer of all things. And I would encourage you to cling to Jesus. If you're not a praying person, I'd I encourage you to take a risk and pray and see if the Lord wouldn't provide for you. There's also, uh, we wanna be a church that provides uh, different ways to help. And so uh, we have uh, financial classes. If you need mentoring or uh, just someone to meet with because you've got a lot of financial concerns and it's just, uh, it's just chaos in your life right now, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. 
is as you leave this morning, you'll see these connection card boxes and there's a little comment card section. You can just put in there, please contact me about finances or please contact me about counseling or please contact me about prayer. Leave your information. We'll be picking those up after the service. Or if you're interested in uh, one of the financial classes or financial counseling, uh, we would love to get you connected with that. Just write that on there, drop it in the box, and we'll take care of that uh, for you. Uh, You could also text that to the phone number that we had, 602-996-9000 and we will get back in touch with you this week. Uh, Would you all thank our panel for being here today? Thank you, guys. So at the end of the day, we... um, It's always awkward for me because I feel like I'm just shoring up financial account for the company I work for, and that's certainly not it. Um, The look in the people's eyes from 35 years ago who leveraged their finances to uh, be a part of God's work in building this church uh, campus, what I saw in their eyes was pride, was honor for being able to be a part, and joy in having seen the Lord at work through their work and the work of this church family. And I want that for you too. I want for us, for those of us that are going to be around then, 35, 40 years down the road, when we're complaining about the music and the new preacher is a jerk and arrogant and all that kind of stuff, when we're there... I want to be able to look back and say, you know what, we were faithful, we were generous, we were a people who used our time, our energy, our social capital, and our finances to build something that God called us to build. I want that for you, I want that for me. As a church family, as we celebrate 40 years, we want to look forward to the next 40 years of, yes, blood, sweat, and tears, but also recognizing that Jesus is risen, and that he gives us all that we need to accomplish the work that he calls us to. I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, Holly will come back up and we'll conclude. Would you join me as we pray? Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for the many ways you provide for us, for your love, for your provision, and for your mercy. We pray now, Lord, as we think about our finances, for those of us that are followers of you, Lord, that we would be a generous people who view everything that we have as a gift from you to be invested and stewarded to the best of our abilities. For those of us that are still trying to figure it out or still trying to figure out if we have faith at all, Lord, I pray that you would help those of us that are there to consider our finances not as something that is solely for our own benefit, but for the benefit of others as well. Would you give to each of us wisdom and shrewdness as it relates to where it is that we're going to invest our finances, our time, our energy, and our talents, so that we would impact this world, that we would bless others, that we would minister to and serve those in need, and in doing so, bring you glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.